This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries, official sponsor of Faction 46 and Nice Motorsports Truck Series teams. Forney offers versatile welding and plasma cutting machines, along with a full line of metalworking accessories for beginners, do-it-yourselfers, and professionals. Forney has everything you need for your next metalworking project. Shop for these top-of-the-line products at ForneyIND.com, that's F-O-R-N-E-Y-I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item, backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They yeah. had been, they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. What's so, the first deal they built, I bet? No, no, you know, you could, I think they were, they had, the, the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped-up car, and he, he complained that the government gave him these piece-of-crap, cheapo cars and that, that were really no match, but he thought he was doing pretty good. And then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappeared. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And it, it, as he said, it was a game of chicken and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. <laughs> So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Bought Podcast. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by QWare. Maintain excellence. Hell, we're going to build us a Daytona car. Go to Daytona. Uh, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Pulled my belt tight, and, and I'm watching, and then all of a sudden, the fence is gone, and I'm seeing sky. And there was plenty of times I wanted to say, okay, we're done. 
you know, I could go home and, and make a very good living with the family business. That big table's pretty darn cool it, it, when you're in a championship fight, that's for sure. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hi, I'm Joey Logano. <laughs> Danny Hamlin, you can forget dinner Saturday night. <laughs> Steve, of all the drivers that you and I could have picked last week in our championship contest, you picked Joy Logano, and I picked Denny Hamlin. Now, you're not going to try to slug me on pit road, are you? <laughs> no, but uh, those boys had a nice tete-a-tete after the race, wouldn't you say? Had a nice what? Well, whatever. <laughs> Steve, I'll tell you what. I picked up a little bit of ground, but right. not nearly enough. Nah. Now, I'm not giving up. I know you're not. I am not giving up. That's not in my DNA, but I'm kind of resigning myself to the fact that I'm going to have to spend all day at the NASCAR Hall of Fame with your display. That's right. At my display, handing out commemorative copies from Darlington of Grand National Scene. Now, that's not going to be too bad. No, that's pretty good. But singing your praises all day long. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) Steve, this week... We have just what is an absolutely amazing interview with Randy LaJoy. Of course, I covered him for quite some time in the Bush series. And there's one thing about Randy. You don't have to ask him what he thinks because he will flat out tell you anyway. Absolutely, Listeners are definitely going to get an earful out of these podcasts. (laughs) Absolutely. And when it comes to an interview, Randy LaJoy does more than provide information. He provides entertainment. (laughs) An interview with Randy LaJoy isn't so much just an interview as it is an experience. (laughs) But this week, Steve, he talks about that wicked ride that he took at Daytona trying to qualify for the 1984 Daytona 500, and then some of the struggles that he experienced while trying to make his way into a top-tier ride before he landed with base motorsports and winning his first Bush Series championship in 1996. It's in the Bush Series that Randall Joy has made his mark. He tried very hard to break into cup competition, did not quite do it as well as he wanted to. In fact, I think he only had 44 starts over right. the years. But... On the Bush Series, hey, the man is a legend. Yes, he is. Now, in our second segment with the Cup Circuit headed to Texas this weekend, we're going to go back to the April 10th, 1997 issue of Winston Cup Scene. That covered the first NASCAR weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Mark Martin won the Bush Series race on Saturday. No surprise. Jeff Burton won the Cup race right. on Sunday, and that was his very first Winston Cup victory. And it was a very, very emotional one for him, but even more so for his wife, Kim. (laughs) There's a famous, now famous video of her watching him winning the race. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's sitting there in his pits, and she's uh, just crying her eyes out. She's so happy for him. She even said this is what he's wanted all his life. And, of course, that track had been very controversial before the event <laughs> with North Wilkesboro and expansion and Bruton versus NASCAR. It, did, <laughs> it didn't get much better once the green flag fell because 13 cars, Steve, 13 cars crashed in the first turn of the first lap. First lap. First lap. Boy, that was just <laughs> part of what was a most unusual race weekend at Texas. 
And also in this issue, the April 10th, 1997 issue of Winston Cup Scene, there's a feature on Johnny Rumley. Where have you gone, Johnny? (laughs) (laughs) That's a blast from the past. Also, there is a short news item that Rainier Walsh Racing would be supporting an upcoming made-for-TV movie. And, of course, we just had Lauren Rainier on our show. For some reason, he didn't mention this just titanic work of art that was this made-for-TV movie. Well, it's funny that you mention the word titanic because this made-for-TV movie sank. (laughs) (laughs) And, Steve, this week we have PayPal support from our friend Jamie Bishop. And, Steve, he was already a huge supporter of the show. He was the one who provided us with all the classic issues of Winston Cup scene. He went to that flea market in South Carolina. Right. Bought like 500 issues and turned them over to us to share with our Patreon supporters. And this week, we got a tweet from one of those Patreon supporters, Fred Rosado, and he goes by the Twitter handle NASCAR Idus, I D U S. So he's got NASCAR Idus. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a rash? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can take some medicine for that. But he actually thanked us for the papers that we had sent, the classic issue of Winston Cup saying that I'd sent from January of 1993, I think. Yeah. Had Richard Petty on the cover. Right. And there's a, a young child there, and he's looking up with, at Richard with just this look of awe. Absolutely. In his face. Adoration in that little boy's eyes yeah. on that cover. That was a very, very popular cover. And so Fred slash NASCAR Otis <laughs> sent us a tweet, and he said, that was a perfect addition to send me. That was the year I met Gant and graduated high school, also when my NASCAR fandom became a disease. So wow. then you said something about, who took the picture, and that picture was taken by, I believe, Tim Wilcox. Yeah, Tim Wilcox of our staff, the late Tim Wilcox. We lost him to ALS, unfortunately. He took that picture, and the picture is so perfect in the way that a young fan sees Richard Petty, and it's just in awe of him right there. So that was a very, very notable picture, and one that uh, brings back fond memories of Tim. And in a second tweet, Fred added, you guys outdid yourselves trying to find the right edition to send me based on my style and favorite drivers back in the day. It is perfect, and I'm so thankful you sent me this one. I was actually reading it and started getting a little choked up. Thank you so very much. And you're so very welcome. And Steve, that's what I think is so perfect about this entire archive, because I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't give picking that issue out a whole lot of thought. I basically just got in the tub where I was keeping the papers that Jamie had given us, and I just picked one out basically at random. Right. And it had that kind of impact on Fred. And Steve, I say all that to say we have plenty more papers right. that can have that same kind of impact on people. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, any way possible that fans can support us, yes, uh, that gives them a chance to have the same kind of memories and reaction that Fred did. So here's the deal. $5 a month or more on Patreon. Not only will you receive at least one of these classic issues of Winston Cup scene, you'll also receive the commemorative issue of Grand National scene that we did with Darlington. $5 a month, you'll get one issue of Winston Cup scene. $10 a month, you'll get two issues of Winston Cup scene. $20 a month, you'll get four and so on and so forth. Fred was very impressed with what we sent him. Mm -hmm. And I believe that other people can be too. 
fans give us a chance to impress you. We can do it. <laughs> Patreon.com slash the Scene Vault Podcast. And also, if you would prefer to do a one-time show of support, that address would be paypal.me slash the Scene Vault Podcast. Randy, in 1983, you ran your first full schedule on the old Bush North Tour, and the next year you head to Daytona to attempt to qualify for the 500. How did that deal come about? Bob Johnson, uh, Hall of Fame crew chief. Oh, Bob Johnson. Oh, Bob Johnson. You didn't want uh, to mess with him. No, no, <laughs> not even close. Yeah, if he didn't just scare you by his looks – he could pound you in the ground like bam, bam. Just, <laughs> so, uh, it yeah. was quite intimidating. Uh, but I've known him forever. Uh, my dad drove for Bob in the 70s, a couple races. As a matter of fact, he launched it over the fence in the spring sizzler. Uh, in one of the spring sizzlers, I want to say it was 75 or 76. Uh, he borrowed Richie Evans' fire suit. We are up there to watch, and they, they called him. And they said, Don LaJoy, come up to the flag stand. So we went up there, and Bob was standing there. He was like, Don, I need you to drive my car. Okay. So I ain't got no uniform, so he borrowed one from Richie. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and Charlie Jazanback blew up going into three with 10 to go. And he spun around, and my dad went drove right over his front tires and over his roof, over the fence, and ended up in the parking lot. So I've known Bob and Gussie a long time. And uh, the Snellman brothers were local uh, construction guys. Always had race cars. They're in Connecticut? In Connecticut. Okay. Yep. Yeah. They always had race cars. Uh, grew up in Danbury. I mean, I raced at Danbury. So they always had race cars at Danbury. Became friends with his kids. Uh, raced go-karts with his kids. And uh, one thing led to another, and they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to go. Uh, sold all my modified stuff. Sold my modified stuff to Teddy Christopher. First race car no Teddy kidding. Christopher had. Oh, wow. was yeah. mine. Yeah. My last one that I had was his first. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people that were mad at me for that. But, <laughs> but I mean, what a legend Teddy was. Uh, Somebody mad at Randy? I, <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, I, yeah. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> so so we just, I sold all that. We And we went, uh, I was racing at New London on Saturdays, uh, New London, Waterford in Connecticut, and Fridays at Stafford. And the promoter at New London uh, had... The old Bush North Tour, the Coors Tour, Stroh's Tour, I think, Stroh's Tour, was a special event. So the promoter said, hey, Randy, you want to drive one of these cars? You know, it's a taxi cab. I said, yeah, I'd drive a taxi cab, no yeah. problem. And uh, they had a traveling car. It was C.A. Crouch, uh, Robbie Crouch's dad. Always had like a house car. So he brought it, and then they always put a local guy in it. So, okay, they put me in it, and uh, I had a great time. Golly, but, I, you know, coming from the... Modified 25 lappers. Never, it was a 150-lap race. Uh, got the lead, probably 20 laps in. And I, th I said, this is easy. Well, 45 <laughs> laps in, I was burned out. I mean, my, my tires were junk. Yeah. I was yeah. hanging yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, so needless to say, I, at the end of the race, I don't know where I finished. Uh, but I come in, and, and the CA said he was very soft-spoken. I mean, he reminds me of the woods. You know, he was that the kind of demeanor, very... Very nice, very calm, very – so he says, here I was. I mean, I'm, hell, I'm 25 years old, you know. And uh, he says, Randy, he says, you know what happened? And I, yeah, your car didn't handle. You know, I mean, it, of course it's the car's fault. He <laughs> says, no, you drove it too fast through the corners. And I just looked at that man like he had two heads. 
You know, he's that's all. He goes, you just drove it too fast through the corners. I said, well, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> well, you know, that was way before your way, my way with yeah. old Harry Hyde. Oh, yeah, yeah. Has, that's exactly so, what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so, okay. I said, okay, that, that was real life story number one. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> we ran that year. We got rookie of the year up north. Uh, Bob was good friends with Mike McLaughlin. Uh, I mean, Mike Laughlin. Uh, Bob was one of the first ones to run the front steer car back in the day. Uh, him and him and uh, Mike Laughlin put that thing together, and then Bob was one of the first ones. So, hell, we're going to build us a Daytona car. Go to Daytona. Uh, you know, what could possibly go wrong? So <laughs> we went, and we went down and tested. Hold my beer. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So we uh, we went down and tested. Uh, and how you run 200 mile an hour, you know, something totally different than I have ever done. And uh, I said, okay, this, this ain't bad. We're okay here. And so we, we went and did it and ended up on my lid. Yeah, you ended up yeah. on your lid and your hood and your lid and your yeah. hood and your underbody. Yeah. Your qualifying race, you come off turn four and you get into the grass and it looked like you bounced over one of the access Skimmed, roads yeah, or yeah. whatever. At what point did you know that you were in trouble? Well, you know, luckily, uh, before we got to go on the racetrack down there and, and testing and stuff, you know, they had these rookie meetings. Well, you know, you had Dave Marcus, you had Richard Petty, you had Dick Beatty from NASCAR, you know, and they, they, they said, hey, guys, you know, they, they says if you get in trouble here, it's going to happen quick. He says, and you're going to slide. You know, I remember Richard saying, hey, there's two kinds of accidents here. One, you're going to hit something hard quickly, or you're going to slide and hit something hard because as fast as you're going. He goes, if you can remember, he says, you know, to, to pull the belts tight <laughs> and take a deep breath right before you think you're going to hit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, okay. You know, so, I mean, that, that was etched in your mind for every day in these rookie meetings. Turn it left, lock it down. Turn it left, lock it down. You know, don't try to save it so you go up across the racetrack. Just turn it left. Most of the time it works out. So here we go. We had engine trouble. We, we lost a couple engines. We bought one from Richard Petty. Uh Kevin, Kevin, no, something Wilson. Kenny, Ken Wilson. Ken Wilson. Ken, Ken yeah. Wilson was the engine right. man. Bought one, put it in the car for the 125. And when I left pit road, I thought something was wrong because I could light the tires up. I was wow. like, Jesus, I never could light the tires up, you yeah. know, in second, third gear. I was like, wow. So, okay, start last. I mean, it was 30 cars in, in the race. Well, a dozen laps in, I'm 15th. I'm, I'm already in a qualified spot. And I ain't lifted yet. And I'm just having a great time. Yeah. High, low. I mean, I, I'm just gassing it up and going. Well, I come up on Sterling Marlin. He was in the Hesco, number 17, Roger Hamby car. I come up on him going into three, sucked up to him, coming out of four. And I said, okay, I'm going to just pass him. So I turned left, hit the bump at the tunnel, and it just turned the car sideways. So when it turned the car sideways, I said, okay, turn it left and lock it down. Well, by that time I did that, I was already in the grass. And it seemed like that thing picked up 50 mile an hour. So I was like, okay. And like Richard said, you're going to slide a long ways before you hit something. And when you hit it, it's going to be hard. So And you've got time to think about oh, it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember, I, I remember like yeah. slow motion. I remember like it was yesterday. So I'm sitting watching where I'm going to hit. And I was like, okay. This is okay. So I'm, I'm locked up. I, and my dad always taught me never let go of the steering wheel. So I creeped out in the steering wheel. I, I pulled my belt tight. While you're sliding. Oh, yeah. I pulled the belts tight, grabbed the wheel, <laughs> and, and I'm watching. And then all of a sudden, the, the fence is gone, and I'm seeing sky. And I was like, out the windshield. I was like, oh, boy. And I look down, and I see the grass. And I said, you know, I think I need to take a deep breath. 
Mm. And I took a deep breath, and I woke up probably four hours later. I started to remember about four hours later in the hospital. Uh, and the next, let's see, I spent a day in the hospital, went out the next. So Saturday, went back for the, for the bush race. And I was walking down pit road, and a fireman, all dressed up, he goes, you know who I am? I said, no, I don't, sir. He goes, well, I, said, I was helped you get out of the car. He goes, well, we took you out of the car. We laid you on a stretcher. He goes, and, and those guys didn't know what to do because you weren't breathing. I said, really? I said, so? He said, well, my open face helmet, the radio thing. He says, your radio thing was stuck against your cheek. It was in your mouth. He goes, so I opened your mouth to pull your radio. He goes, and I look. He goes, hell, so you got a bunch of stuff in your mouth. He says, I reached in and pulled a clump of grass and dirt. Out of your mouth. He says, about the size of a softball. He (laughs) says, I pulled it out of your, out of your, he says, you started moving your legs, you opened your eyes. And I said, well, thank you very much. You know, so I guess I vapor locked when I took a deep breath. I sucked all the grass in. <laughs> so I, I, I tell people that's the reason I ended up to be the way I am is because, you know, I, I had a little vapor lock in there. I'm not sure how long. But uh, so I was like, okay, thank you. Uh, and and it's, Daytona treated me well after that. Yes. You know, so to go back there, with, with come back with three victories there, you know, I said, okay, I got you back, you know. And I made the place safer for everybody else. NASCAR wasn't happy because they, they told me multiple times that, that they spent a million dollars in getting rid of the grass <laughs> and building the fence. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Randy, one of the things that I think is so interesting is the fact that in your office here, you have a collection of your helmets from throughout your career. And I'm sitting here looking at the helmet that you wore that day, and it has a pretty substantial gash in the back of it from where something hit it. Piece of sheet metal, piece of the fence. There's a picture in uh, the, the, what's her name, from uh, Wisconsin, the Mueller family. They always raced the 89 car. They, John, yeah, Jimmy yeah, Sauter yeah. always right, rode for yeah, them. Yeah. Evan Rude cars. Uh-huh. Well, she was sitting in the grandstand, and she just had gotten a new camera, and she had the whole sequence wow, from start to finish in pictures. And... I remember we got a set. She sent me a set, and they were at the junkyard. They still might be at the junkyard up in Connecticut. Uh, but in uh, one of those pictures, you could see one of those sheets of fencing stuck into the window. So, I mean, I, you know, you're, you're, there's a reason I'm here because, you know, that was probably a couple inches away from, you know, cutting my damn neck, you know. So, okay, I, it wasn't my time. Randy, you came back that year and had a really good season in Bush North. You won four races in 1984, then five races and the championship in 1985. But after that, going through racing reference and some of the other statistics and stuff, I couldn't really find much for 1986. What were you didn't doing? Didn't do a whole lot. 86, yeah. 87, 88. Didn't, didn't do a whole lot. Uh, I think we went back to Daytona. We blew up a couple times, and we were going we to go cup racing. You know, a dozen times or so, went to Atlanta. Uh, the construction business at the time wasn't as good as they thought it was going to be. You know, so okay, so I went and found girls and golf <laughs> and, and, and messed around with some short track stuff. Late nineteen eighties and early nineties, you kind of bounce around a little bit from a Bush deal with Frank Cece to Cup deals with Jim Rosenblum and Kel Yarbrough and a couple others. How difficult was that for you? Was there ever a point 
where you just wanted to chuck the whole driving thing and go in a different direction? Oh, plenty of times. I mean, got married in 88. Uh, I was at Pocono talking to Jimmy Spencer, and Jimmy said, hey, LaJoy. And I've known Jimmy because he's a scrapper and modified guy, and we've dealt with him a bunch. And he said, hey, he says, I'm going cup racing. He says, and Cece needs somebody to drive that bush car. He goes, you need to go drive that bush car. I said, okay. So I called Frank, and Frank said, yeah, I'll hire you. And he says, you know, I'll pay you, I think it was $300 a week. And he says, you need to work on the car. And I said, okay, I'm good. So yeah. it was a month after I got married. You know, and I, I told the wife, I said, honey, I says, uh, I want to do this. Now, was that up north? I was, I was still in Connecticut. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was still in Connecticut, you know. So here I was. We, we, we had just got married, just moved into a house, and I said, I'm leaving. I said, I'm, I'm going to try this. So I had an apartment down here with a buddy of mine. Uh, he had an apartment, so I moved into his living room and uh, went to work for and worked, worked for CeCe for that year. And the first race out was a second. And we had uh, uh, some very good runs. I never won. Never won. Bothered me, yeah. you know. Uh, and then that following year, I, I guess it was welcome to the 90s because it was still late 80s, was somebody had more money than I did. I didn't have no money. Uh, you know, I just just had a helmet bag. Well, I got, you know, so Frank needed some money. So Frank took, took on a driver with money. So, I mean, I, I ended up working for the team uh, for a couple of years, opened my own fabrication shop down here because I liked it down here. You know, it was, it was nice. It uh, wasn't easy. You know, I did anything. Thank, thankfully, when I grew up in the junkyard, I had a truck driver's license. So guys would use truck drivers, and I said, oh, I got a license. I'll drive your truck. You know, you paying? Yeah, okay. You, talk, you talking about race haulers? Or? Race haulers, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I remember uh, I drove the Raymock hauler down. I, I laughed. Those guys, they called me up because I always beat them up. You need a driver. You need a driver. <laughs> yeah. You know, Cliff Stewart, I always call Cliff Stewart up. A lot of guys, Richard Childress. I, and, and back in the day, you know, they said, okay, you know, they said, well, you don't have enough experience. You got to get you gotta get another 10 years experience. Another 10 years. Of- yeah. You know, and here I am. I'm mid-20s. And I said, okay, you know, so how do you do that without nickels? You know, so, I, okay, it's a. Whatever, it's the same battle it is today if you don't have a lot of money. So, uh, you know, did whatever I could to keep food on my table. My wife moved down about six, eight months later. Uh, thankfully, she got a job, a <laughs> travel agency, so yeah. she, she got herself a job. So, uh, okay, you know, and there was plenty of times I wanted to just say, okay, we're done. You know, I could go home and, and make a very good living with the family business. Uh, and it, I said, but, you know, this is something that I said, okay, I'm, we're not quitters. We never quit nothing in my life. And every time when I drove Cal Yarbrough's car, the 66, the drop out of car, drove that five times. The, the people that were on the Max race cars, Max race cars were the first ones out. Or I knew the family that started it. And so we, the lady says, you know what? I'm going to put you on these Max race cars with drop Arctic. You know, you're supposed, we're supposed to have a minimum and. I said, well, I said, that would be wonderful. I, I don't know. You know, I said, okay, I just thought it was going to be cool. I was going to have a trading card. And uh, lo and behold, you know, right before I would pack my bags up and go home, I'd get a quarterly check from royalties. And, and it was 3500 4000 From Max Rice Cards? Correct. Really? Yes. Wow. Because they're the only okay. ones around. And, yeah. you know, and, and I was like, <laughs> okay, I don't have to go home now, you know. <laughs> so that helped tremendously. So Max Race Cards helped you stay, stay put. Yeah, otherwise I was gone. 
couple wow. different times. Couple, I did I mean, not know that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I was like, and you know, I never thought, okay, they were quarterly. I didn't know if they were coming. I thought it was a one, and then they, they start coming quarterly. You know, I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that might have been the only money I ever made on, <laughs> on souvenirs. <laughs> Randy, one of the one-off deals that you did during that period was at Orange County in late 1993 when you qualified second and finished fourth in the number 74 base motorsports car. How did that come about? Birdie. Okay. Steve Bird. I knew Steve Bird from uh, New England. He, he was, uh, I, I knew him growing up. His dad ran racetracks. My dad raced the racetracks. So we knew each other. And then uh, he used to work for Pete Fiandaka. Uh, used to be called a traveling man because they would race five, six nights a week. And Birdie was his guy. You know, they, they, they did everything together. And so I've known Birdie for forever. And Birdie worked for base, Bumgarner. And then something happened with Sprague and they fired Sprague and they had Johnny Benson coming in already so they johnny couldn't come down and run orange county and i had did some stuff with birdie every time he would go somewhere and go testing her he had he had some young guys that he was helping he's hey come over help these guys and i would jump in the car and run it and, and set a baseline and uh so he said hey i need you for a weekend come up here so okay so we qualified second we got spun out made up i think a couple laps uh, and finished fourth and after the race uh Mr. Buckman, Bill, Bill, you know, he was pipe going. He goes, Sutton, you ever need a job? You got one here. Wow. Okay. I was okay. You know, so that was that, you know, and then, then Benson come in and run that thing for the year. And I had gone in a wonderful 93, drove for Dick Moroso. Dick and my dad were good friends. They grew up together. Uh, they, my dad did a lot of things that are still in the Moroso catalog because Dick was a straight line guy. And so my dad would talk to him about the roundy round stuff. You know, he's hey, we got a, we got some stuff over here that you can help too. Uh, so my dad and, and Dick and, and Moroso always had a wonderful relationship. I still do. I, I still have a good relationship with, with the not Robbie, uh, but it's the one, the other one that's running the company now. I just drew it, just drew a blame fart. But uh, so I've always had a good relationship with them. So they called and they had Fina as a sponsor. And okay, so we had a great year. I mean, we, I, we started the tail end, I think, in '92 with Fina. I was driving a truck for them. Bobby Hamilton and Bub, Buddy Baker were driving for him. So we went the next year, the last year to V6s. And boy, we were leading the points and we blew up like six in a row. Okay, you know, it happens, you know. Uh, I don't know, you know, Dick was going through some hard times because it was five or six years after Robbie passed. And, you know, I don't know how parents deal with that kind of stuff. It has right. to be difficult. Uh, so, you know, Dick was different. Uh, it wasn't the same Dick that I knew, you know, three, four years earlier. So, uh, you know, we were having a terrible year. I mean, we were a great year on the racetrack, but kept blowing up. Well, you know, it's okay. Come to find out, you know, they had 15 motors, that they've had in their arsenal, and okay, next year we're building new motors. We're just going to use up what we have. Mm, well, yeah. you know, that didn't work out so right. well. So uh, at the end of that year, the FINA people, I mean, they were wonderful. The CEO was a neat man, uh, Ron Haddock, uh, neat, neat family. So at the end of the year, I get a chance. Bobby Labonte is moving to Joe Gibbs, and he's leaving Bill Davis, and, and Bill said, hey, you want to drive for me? And I was like, no, man, cup car, yeah. And Bobby told me I probably shouldn't, 
But did I said, he really? Yeah. So yeah. I was like, okay, whatever. I said, you know, just stars and you see everything. So okay, so I I went there and and about before I left, uh, before I left, Fina, I called uh, Mr. Haddock and I said, Ron, I says, the way you do things, I was like, and, and the way everybody, your 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 customers like this, I was like, this works for you, your company. You know, it works for your divisions. And he says, yeah, it does. He goes, this is going good. I said, listen, I was like, I'm not sure what's going to happen next year over Moroso. I was like, I'm going to run cup cars. I said, but don't get mad because this sport needs you. I was like, and, and you need the sport because it, it seems like all your customers really like this. So, okay, you know, six months later, eight months later, I get fired halfway through the year uh, from the cup car. I said, okay, this is wonderful. So my first call uh, was to my lawyer. And he said, no, you got a five-year contract. You'll be okay. Okay. I said, well, I'm out of work. The second call was Bill Baumgartner. I said, Bill, I said, I need a job. And he says, okay. He goes, you got one. Benson's leaving. I said, okay, the end of the year. So I said, okay, that's good. So my third call was a Dennis Shoemaker. Dennis Shoemaker has owned Bush cars his whole life. I've called a man since I was blue in the face. <laughs> but I <laughs> yeah. wasn't a cup yeah. driver. Right. He, he always wanted to put cup drivers in his car. He was one of those, huh? One of those guys. <laughs> so I was like, so I was never a cup driver. Well, after my stint in the Cup Series, he said, sure, I'll hire you for the rest of the year. Yeah. yeah. So I, it was great. So I filled in with the, with the 64 car, you know, and upgraded his equipment. You know, Trickle thanks me a lot because I, I wrecked a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I hit a lot of stuff. Uh, just trying to go too fast and this. And I said, okay, whatever. So I upgraded Shoemaker's equipment. The following year, the end of that year, Bill says, hey, uh, Lipton's gone. You know, we just won the championship, but they're leaving. You know, we kind of need, I'm going to try to do this. So I said, hey, you know what, let me let me call FINA. Because they didn't, they didn't finish the year out well with Dick. And Dick had six or eight different drivers in the car. Uh, so I called Mr. Haddock up. And uh, I said, Ron, I said, LaJoy, what's happening, man? I said, I, I said, hey, I got an opportunity next year. I says with this base motorsports, they're, they're going. They won the championship. I says I, I'm going to drive that car, and there's opportunity that that we could put you guys on the car. Well, he goes, I know you told me not to get upset. He says, but boy, we didn't have a good year yeah, and this yeah. and that. I said, well, I says put it out there. I says, I says I know you guys got your end of the year things coming. He goes, I, I'm pretty sure it's, we're done. I said, okay. I said, just just put it out there. So I made some internal calls that I knew some of the key players. So I called them, and I wanted to get them in my corner because they were all against racing, and uh, they didn't have fun. And so made some calls. Well, after the meeting, Mr. Haddock called and says, uh, can we do this? I said, yes, we can. So I put them in touch with Bill, and, and you know that was a good four-year relationship. You know, I mean, it, it worked out well for those guys. You go into 1996, and – you get your first win at Nazareth. Mm-hmm. What did that mean to you personally? Well, it was close to home. Right. I had a lot of family there. I had a lot of friends there. Uh, it, it was just, okay. Uh, you know, I, I've been south for eight years now. And I said, okay. I said, I, I it, it just solidified a, a race car driver. Okay. You know, I won the championship in the north, won a couple championships in the north. Uh, so it just solidified yourself knowing that, in, in your heart, you knew you could race against these guys and you could win, but you, I just never did. 
Well, then to go to Nazareth, one of the trickiest racetracks out there, to get your first win, uh, it was it was more than magical. It was definitely it opened the floodgates, you could say, because you know they say the first one's the hardest, and the rest come easier. Well, I'm not sure they come easier, but they sure did come a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> you go to Talladega, you finish third, despite being all but passed out in the car, and after the race, you. Pretty much collapse on pit road. What happened in that uh, deal? We had I, I had a lung infection afterwards. Uh, the wood in the chassis that everybody used to use wood to keep the lead in the car. Just throw some wood spacers in there so the lead don't slide. Before everybody started using tubing, well the wood caught fire. Wow! So the wood was burning the whole race. <laughs> Coming into the car, and I I smelled like a damn hickory smoke, you know. And, and <laughs> you were barbecued, yeah, yeah. It wasn't any hotter, but it was just yeah. uh, you know. It, I'm not sure what, but it. it I remember sending Todd Bodine off my off the hood, going down the backstretch. Uh, he went for a ride, and I remember his wife Lynn just giving me all kinds of hell at the gas pumps, and I was like, well, I was like, she goes, "What's wrong with you?" And I said, "I might need some help." So, okay, a bunch of oxygen later, I was okay. But. For most of the year, you're kind of chasing David Green for the championship. And although you win another four races in 96, you're still 128 points behind him with four races to go. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a sense that the title was out of reach? Yeah, you know, I don't think so. Uh, because one of the advantages we had was the, the guys were in the – Right, they had to, they were neighbors in the shops. They were side by side neighbors down there behind BSR, uh, ninety six car, and us. And uh, so, you know, I'm not sure it's an event, but all the teams got along. You know, David was just a little different, uh, and yeah. David treated his team different. Really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, and I would see that. You know, I mean, I, so the crew guys and me always got along, and uh, I would always, you know, rib myself. Where's David? How come he don't help you guys push the car? You know, <laughs> uh, so I would always, you know, work work uh, on those guys. Okay, yeah. Uh, and then they did. An, David had an interview, and uh, he patted himself on the back a lot during that interview. And so the next week, when I went to the racetrack, I made sure I kind of emphasized that. You know, I was like, okay, where's that guy that patted himself on the back? How come he ain't working on this car? How come he ain't taking it through tech? You know, so yeah. I kind of like yeah. it. I'm, I'm porking. You know, I'm poking the fire, you yeah. know. And uh, and then David crashes out at Charlotte, and that just opened the door. And, okay, that point lead got cut in half. And we're like, okay, we can do this. You go into Homestead, and you've got the lead in the standings, but you get caught up in an accident with David Hutto just 30 laps into the race. What was your thinking at that point? Well, I mean, you still don't ever know what's going to happen. Yeah, but I do know that I got a hole in my right side door. I don't know what kind of damage is on the rear end. Uh, I can see the the earth, you know, when I look out the right side door, and I was like, okay, this ain't good. Uh, But we were still, the car wasn't bad. I said, okay, you know, we were a couple laps down, and they didn't have the waiver rounds, and they didn't have the lucky dogs, so you had to outrun the leaders. You know, one of the cautions, I outrun the leaders, got one lap back, okay? And it took a long time. Uh, they had a couple of wrecks, and uh, we needed to get our lap back again. So on one of the restarts, I 
freaking tightened the belts as hard as I can and drove as hard as I could to stay in front of the leaders for a couple laps. And thankfully, the caution came out. Uh, and it was Rodney Combs. Rodney Combs had was driving that 43, I don't know, whatever car it was, but this thing was tore up. I mean, this thing was looked like a Talladega wreck. Uh, obviously, he got in before, and so he was parked in the middle of the backstretch. That got me on the lead lap. And I was like, wow, cool. You know, and ain't nothing on the radio ever was said about nothing. David, to this day, says, that, Oh, man, you're yeah. going to answer my question okay. before I have a chance to ask it. <laughs> so I, mean, I don't know what happened in yeah. the pits. Yeah. All I yeah. know is a 43 car was stopped <laughs> on the backstretch. Uh, and that allowed us, you know, to get back on the lead lap yeah. and to, to finish within enough points of David to win. So, according to David, just to clarify, according <laughs> to David, David to this day, claims that Rodney Combs stopped on the track on purpose and that maybe some deals were going back in the pits and everything. I had a friend, old Roger Hamilton, Roger and Cheryl Hamilton. They worked for Schrader. They, they were running Schrader Racing at the time. Uh, they lived in a neighborhood right next to Rodney Combs. I had a buddy of mine that lived in a neighborhood, and I would go there, and we worked on his old 55 on Sundays after yeah. church and stuff. So I was there. I said, oh, well, let me stop over and see Roger and Cheryl. So I stopped over, said hi to Roger and Cheryl, and I said, ah, let me walk over and see Rodney. Well, well, Roger was cutting his grass. I said, Roger, let me have the lawnmower. I said, I'm going to drive over there. <laughs> he goes, you guys, ah, just let me, let me have the lawnmower. So I get the lawnmower. I drive over to the Combs' backyard, and I start cutting the grass. <laughs> his wife comes out. <laughs> what in the hell are you doing? And she didn't know who was cutting the grass first. And, and then I, I, I said, hey, how are you? And Rodney, what are you doing? I said, ah. I said, you did stop on a racetrack. The least I could do is cut the grass. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I, if I paid him off, I, that's it. I cut his grass. Basically what you're saying is you cut his grass, so now you're even. Correct. Yeah, oh. That was after the fact. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, if they did get a check, it wasn't from me. <laughs> <laughs> Randy, after everything that you'd been through in your career, being let go from the 22 Cup car, bouncing around a little bit in the late 80s and early 90s. What was it like to hold that trophy in victory lane? You know, when you sit there and you, you win a championship, any any race is, for a race car driver, that's the ultimate. I mean, that's, man, it, there's no other feeling. I, I guess if you're a ball player, you want to win the series or Super Bowl or whatever, you know, World Cup. But racing, you know, when you get that victory lane trophy and you win a championship and you go there – and they announce your name, and the place stands up that, you know, wanted to beat you all year long. And they show you the respect that, okay, okay you're a champion. I mean, that, that's it doesn't get no better. You know, and it's sitting at that big table. That big table's pretty darn cool when you're in a championship fight, that's for sure. Hey listeners, this is Eric Quinn, General Manager of QWare. We are so proud to partner with Rick and Steve and the Seat Vault Podcast in order to bring you these great shows that you're hearing every single week. For over 30 years, the scene was the only place you needed to go to find the NASCAR content and news that you needed and wanted. The most talented writers, the greatest photographers in all sports made the scene the ultimate source for NASCAR information. At QWare, we've taken that same philosophy and applied it to our online maintenance management system, one source one solution that provides you with all of the information you need to get the job done. 
At QWare, we know that every building, every campus, every factory, school, shop, museum, healthcare facility, every office, every building, it, it all needs to be maintained. If the information your facilities team needs to keep your building up and running isn't at their fingertips, then you're probably losing time and money. QWare allows your maintenance team to access the important information from anywhere in the world with just a push of a button. As proud as we are to help bring you the Seam Vault podcast, we at QWare are just as proud to provide the most simple to use, inexpensive cloud maintenance solution on the market today. We would be honored to have you look at QWare and see what we can do for your workplace. Now enjoy the rest of this week's podcast. And when you get a minute, check us out at qwarecmms.com forward slash scene. That's qwarecmms.com forward slash scene. QWare is a product of the CNS companies. QWare. Maintain excellence. Steve, in Randy LaJoy's office at his shop in Concord, three of the four walls in his office are lined with shelves containing basically all of the helmets that he ever wore in his career. That's impressive. It's a pretty cool little display, but front and center in that display is the helmet that Randy was wearing when he crashed at Daytona so, so severely, coming off turn four, trying to qualify for the Daytona 500 that year during one of the qualifying races. To look at this helmet, there is a gash at the back of the helmet that he says was caused by either the guardrail coming through the car or a piece of sheet metal from the hood or something. Mm. To look at that helmet and see that gash and then to see the video of this accident, yeah, it's pretty scary. Well, I'm sure that Randy knows something after this incident and all the evidence he left. He is lucky. To hear Randy LaJoy talking about this accident, he was a rookie at Daytona, so he had to go to all the rookie meetings and everything. And he said that Richard Petty had actually made the comment that you're either going to hit very hard, very suddenly at Daytona, or you're going to slide a long, long way at Daytona and then hit very hard. And in this accident, Randy had time to actually pull down on those seatbelts and tighten up And then right before he made impact, he was thinking clearly enough to take a deep breath. Yeah. So he knew that he was going to hit hard. Oh, yeah. And I think where it happened out of the poor turn at that particular time, there was a lot of grass. And if a car got out of control, it would slide across that grass and lose no speed before it had impact into the wall. But at the same time, it did offer Randy the time to do the things you said he did, tighten the belts and take a breath. That was on Thursday. He came back to the track, spent the night in the hospital, came back to the track, I believe on Saturday he said it was, and met a fireman who had evidently gotten him out of the car and noticed that Randy was either not breathing or having a lot of trouble breathing right. and actually reached in his mouth and cleared out dirt that Incredible. was causing him Incredible. not to be able to breathe very well. Now, ah, oh, yeah. To hear that story, yeah, Randy is very blessed. Well, it makes you admire first responders as well. Yes, sir. And you mentioned the corner coming off turn four and that wall that kind of jutted out. And, you know, I put it out there on Twitter and had several different ones mentioned. And then I went down the <laughs> I went down the YouTube rabbit hole a little bit. Harry Gant spun off turn four during the 1979 Daytona 500, his rookie year, and he backed into that wall came back across traffic. Luckily, he didn't get impacted. 
Phil Feeney, at the end of the 1980 Firecracker 400, he sustained a number of injuries and never raced at the Winston Cup level again. 1981 preseason testing, Greg Sachs was driving one of the new downsized cars for Richard Childress Racing. <laughs> and Steve, his helmet came off in that accident. Unbelievable. 1981, by the way, the first year of downsizing, there was more than one such incident at Daytona as the guys struggled to get accustomed to a downsized car, which was 110 inches in the wheelbase down from 115, and that made a great deal of difference in how the cars handled. Darrell Waltrip got into that wall during the 1982 Daytona 500 and got banged up pretty badly. He said later that that was probably the most beaten up he'd ever been in a wreck, save for the broken leg that he right. experienced at Daytona. Rodney Howard, 1983 Bush Series race, flipped. And, of course, 1984, yeah, it was just one car after another. Ricky Rudd in the Bush Clash. Right. Randy during the qualifying race. And then I thought it was pretty impressive that Dale Earnhardt Jr. tweeted a video of an accident that happened in 1984 during a consolation race. Nats Peters. <laughs> Nats Peters, you know, that's okay, a, it's that, out there. <laughs> that's a name that we don't hear very often in the sport, but Nats Peters hit basically the very same place that Randy had, came back into traffic. He's hit by Jim Hurlbert. And Steve, there is this just this horrible, horrible fire. Right. Once Dale Jr. tweeted that, and several other people had mentioned that accident as well. I wanted to do a little research. Okay. You know, what happened to Nats? He died a little more than a year ago on October the 13th, 2018. He was 80 years old. And i got to be honest with you, his obituary is probably one of the best I've ever read. It wasn't so much just straight information. Somebody actually took time to write a story about his life and career. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, Nats' real name was Ron, and his mama, Wilma, and his daddy, Ralph, met when she was a teenaged beautician's assistant, and he was, according to the obit, <laughs> a union enforcer <laughs> and notorious bad boy. Well, we know what that means. Well, evidently, Ralph developed a pretty serious drug problem <laughs> when Wilma drug him to church, <laughs> and he turned out to be a church planner. How about that? Basically all over the United States. Now, Ronnie who would come to be known as Nats, he started driving race cars, and Wilma bought him a brand-new suit to use when he made his debut at Daytona. And, Steve, she, she took it to her ladies' Bible study group, and they all prayed over it, and they asked for him to be safe while using it. They were appealing to a higher authority. Steve, here's the catch. See? He was wearing this suit uh -huh. in this accident, and, Steve, it wasn't so much as even singed, just a little bit, and it didn't even have a smell of smoke, even though his goggles had actually melted to his face. Oh, my gosh. My gosh. Preach it, brother. Oh. Preach. <laughs> We're going to have a revival here on the well, Sea Vault Podcast. If, there, if you ever wondered where there was, <laughs> there was power in prayer, I think this <laughs> answered your question. And a decade later, Ron slash Nats was driving a van and it got hit by a semi going full speed. And he wasn't even hurt in that. He went straight to church. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> and eventually became the track chaplain at East Bay Raceway Park in Tampa. How about that? 
again, doing a Google searches and everything, you can find all kinds of things. I found a Getty Images photo of Jim Hurlbut's car in this accident. And Steve, the front of his car is pancake all the way back to the windshield. And it's on fire. How did he manage to buy that? <sighs> well, oh. here we go. <laughs> I found a UPI story that said Nats Peters had gotten through that accident in good shape. But then Hurlbert had to have surgery that lasted for more than five hours. He had sustained first and second degree burns on his face and left arm, facial lacerations, broken teeth, a possible broken jaw, and a severely fractured right ankle. My goodness. And also UPI story yeah. from 1984. Guess yeah. who wrote it? Deb Williams. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and Deb does details very well. And she reported that story and had all the information about Jim's injuries. Jim never raced again in NASCAR, but he did come back and he raced here and there and DNQ'd a few times in ARCA through 1999. So that corner was very, very, very Treasure. dangerous. Yeah. And beginning in 1985, that grassy area coming off turn four was paved over. Right. And I think that was a big improvement, but that wall jutting out, I, I, can't, I could not find when that was replaced. I can't remember either, to be honest with you, but the, the, the paving that yeah. took place down there, that solved a lot of problems. It solved a lot of problems because your car hits that grass and it picks up speed, and then it hits the asphalt part and gets lifted up and bad things happen. Getting back to Randy, he was very, very fortunate to have gotten through that accident in good shape. He moved from Connecticut to Charlotte in 1988, went to work for Frank Cece, and was going to drive, <laughs> but somebody came along with more money. He opened up a fab shop. He actually drove the transporter for Raymock and a couple of other teams. Lisa, his wife, moved down and took a job with a travel agency. <laughs> and what kept him going, believe it or not, Steve, were quarterly royalty checks from Max Race Cars. And they that? would be, you know, two or three thousand yeah. dollars. And that helped him and Lisa stay put. Absolutely. You know, because if it hadn't been for those, I would assume he would have gone back home to Connecticut. Well, I assume you're correct in his career. Well, it wouldn't have been much of a career at all, if any. Well, you know, I have to remind myself quite often that I am in the presence of true greatness when we do this podcast because you were on a couple of different tracks racing cards. That's right. 1991, card number 130, your rookie card <laughs> <laughs> is available on eBay for $2.84 plus $3.99 shipping. <laughs> So for, you know, about seven bucks, you can pick up a Steve Wade rookie card. I don't know how much of a call there's going to be for that. <laughs> then the very next year, also card number 130, you're on a dual card with Pappy. Yeah, Tom Higgins. Tom's photo was very obviously taken in the Martinsville press box. That's right. I couldn't pick up on where yours was taken. I was also at Martinsville. Was it? Yeah. Okay, all right. Now, one seller... <laughs> One seller has 38 of these cards available. <laughs> 38? For 99 cents each if you buy one, plus $3.50 shipping. If you buy two, you get them for 89 cents each. If you buy three, you get them for 79 cents. And this is the deal. If you buy four or more, 
skin for 69 cents each. Hey, there's a real buck. <laughs> Unfortunately, the days of royalties from those cards has long since passed. So how is that eBay business doing for you, Steve? <laughs> Not too good. You know, I... I will say this. I will say this. It know. can't be coincidence that we see the Darlington commemorative issue on eBay, and then we see all these Steve Wade tracks cards on eBay. Well, call it coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can make that one of our Patreon incentive deals. You know, send in your now, tracks race cards. Now, we don't want to chase people away now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Randy... During that time where he was kind of bouncing around in the late 1980s and early 1990s, he did happen to run a Bush Series race at Orange County in 1993 for base motorsports. And I had forgotten that until I started doing the research for this interview. And for that race, he actually qualified second, finished fourth. And after the race, team owner Bill Baumgartner came to him and told him, said, hey, if you ever need a job, just give me a call. Good. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. Randy got his big break by driving in 1994 for Dick Moroso, and that was also very important when he formed a relationship with FINA as their sponsor. He actually got a Winston Cup ride with Bill Davis Racing in 1995. That didn't work out, and he was released, I want to say halfway through the year. I think it was after Talladega. And Randy made calls to Bill Baumgartner and said, hey, you remember that promise you made me a couple of years ago? Well, <laughs> I, <laughs> I hope it still holds true. And then Bill said, well, that'd be great. Johnny's leaving, but we're also losing Lipton T as the sponsor, and we need some support. And so Randy said, okay, cool. I'll give Fina a call. And Fina came on board. And I'll be honest with you, Steve, going back and thinking about some of the races that I covered that 74 base motorsports FINA sponsored car was a pretty race car. The red, white, and blue is, you know, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that it was very patriotic right. without trying to be. I, I've seen it. I agree with you. Yeah. So that was a beautiful race car. And then Randy took it to the 1996 Bush Series Championship. Going into that championship run, his main rival for that championship was David Green. And here's a piece of trivia for you, Steve. Uh-oh. David Green was the very first driver who ever remembered my name. Really? And called me by my name, Rick. You know, so, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. And then getting into the season, Randy LaJoy, shocker of all shockers, he talked it up with David's crew and kind of played some mind games. Not Randy. No. <laughs> you know, and Randy would say, hey, where's that driver of yours who thinks he's all that? Why isn't he helping you push the car and everything? And at Homestead, Randy gets into an early accident. He has to make up a lap or two. He gets back on lead lap when Rodney Combs stops on the backstretch. <laughs> and conspiracy theory, there we go. David Green insists that there was some kind of deal-making going on between base and Rodney's team. Now, I don't know about that. Well, it wouldn't be the first time something like that has been accused in NASCAR. Oh, conspiracy theories. You got to love them. Yeah, I believe there was somebody on the grassy knoll. <laughs> Steve, follow Brian Kelb on Instagram and Twitter at Speedway Screens, and also check out his inventory at speedwaytsj.etsy.com. I wonder if I could get a Randy LaJoy t-shirt there. I have no doubt Brian has it. <laughs>
And a David Green t-shirt. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Jeff Burton, we're going to talk about him in the second segment. Yeah. I'm sure he's got Jeff Burton. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, check all that out on Instagram and Twitter at Speedway Screens and check out his inventory at speedwaytsj.etsy.com. We're going to go back to the April 10th, 1997 issue of Winston Cup Scene. That covered the first NASCAR weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Jeff Burton won his very first Winston Cup race in 96 career races. And Steve, I don't know that I remember this. He did it with three different teams. I remember him driving for the Stavala brothers because we've actually talked about the Stavala brothers when he had that deal at Richmond and got DQ'd from the race. Obviously, Roush Racing because he was driving for Roush Racing. But I had forgotten that he made his first Winston Cup start for Fillmore. Really? Out of Nashville. The eight car. TIC Financial, I believe. Ricky Craven had been hurt in a crash at the track 45 minutes into the first practice session on Thursday. And Todd Bodine was in his Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, the number 50 car. For the race. And Todd was actually leading, pretty late in the race on lap 277 when Jeff made a move under him coming off turn two. Something happened, and Todd lost control and wound up in the wall coming off turn two there. Now, Jeff Burton said after the race in this issue, he said, I really don't think I touched him. I was a centimeter from him. If I touched him, it was so easy I didn't know it. And if I touched him, it was my fault. I'll take sole responsibility and apologize to him. But until I see the tape, you won't convince me. Our car was a lot better than his at that point. I don't have the reputation for hitting people and wrecking them, and I don't want to acquire it. Well, that to me is the essential Jeff Burton. He was always that way because he established that reputation as as a clean driver. And later in his career, he became the garage area's diplomat. When you needed something in terms of getting a story, or getting an opinion, Jeff Burton was the ideal man to go to. Well, Texas didn't exactly have a drama, <laughs> have a drama-free debut on uh, the Winston Cup no. circuit. <laughs> there were four crashes, four separate crashes on February 3rd, the first day of practice. That was on a Thursday, including the one in which Ricky Craven was injured. The banking in turn four transitioned from 24 degrees to 5 degrees a little too quickly right? from what the drivers were saying at the time. So rain washed out qualifying and continued <laughs> through about midday the next day, and officials started trying to dry the track, but before it was completed, there was a severe thunderstorm headed towards the racetrack and a tornado warning. Right. A very, tornado warning very had been issued. Yeah, very eventful uh, weekend for Texas. There was so much water that the parking lots were practically useless. Yeah. And in order to get people parked, they went to the state highway department and asked them if they could use the highway right up in front of the speedway to park cars. All right, so they did. So they parked cars on both sides of that highway. The traffic on the interstate coming in to that highway was backed up for 13 miles trying to get to yeah. the speedway. It was the awfulest traffic jam you ever saw. <laughs> I know that Ben White, oh, Ben White and I left the motel, which wasn't that far away, headed for the track and came to a dead stop. 
We could see the track. We could see the parking lot. We just couldn't get in there. Really? That's right. There was actually talk of qualifying on Saturday morning, but the drivers said that they would prefer to have more practice time. Right. So instead of having qualifying, they practiced. So they needed that track time. That's absolutely right. They did. Wise move, by the way. Steve, there was a 13-car crash going into turn one on the very first lap of the race and it didn't get much better from there on out. There were 10 cautions, eight of which were for crashes. <laughs> and then there was a crash under caution. <laughs> under caution well, at one like point. I, like I said, a very eventful weekend for Texas. <laughs> Lap 162, Rusty Wallace was involved in one of the multi-car crashes in the trioval, and his car was kind of blocking the racetrack. Ernie Irvin was racing to get back on the lead lap and came off turn four, flat into Greg Sachs. And Jeff Gordon, who was just rolling along, minding his business under caution, all of a sudden he's got Ernie Irvin flying over the back of his race car. Right. So it knocked him out of the race. Well, the drivers primarily were just not used to a track of that style, and particularly in that area around the fourth turn that you described earlier. So it was a guessing game for them. And when you have to guess on the track, it's going to lead to a mess. Steve, we hear a lot of criticism that things aren't done the way that they used to and this and that. I will say this. Racing back to the caution was one of the most dangerous things right. that could have ever have happened in the sport because it didn't matter where the car was stopped on the racetrack. If a driver is trying to get his lap back and he's racing back to the caution, all a, bets were off. A driver trying to get his lap back will take chances yes. he normally would not. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's one move that was made in the name of safety, the lucky dog. Nah, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Rusty Wallace said after the race, he <laughs> said, this track is just not too conducive for racing right now. It looks like it's going to have to be completely rebuilt because it's terrible racing right now. It's just unfortunate that it's tearing up so many cars. Turn four is just a terrible corner. I don't think there's no way in the world we will come back here with the track in its current condition. I'll tell you what, I can't believe how ungodly loose you have to get your car out there to drive it. Now, Steve, in all, 22 of the 43 cars in the race had some kind of damage at the end of the day. Well, I think Rusty made a good point as to why. Now, and, I know the Speedway didn't take that too well. Well, I... <laughs> I like Eddie Gossage, <laughs> but I don't think he exactly did himself too many favors because after the race, he wasn't too no, he apologetic wasn't. or anything. Ooh. He said the track won't adapt to them. They must adapt to the racetrack. If you can run Darlington, which is about as wide as an alley, then it's hard for me to comprehend this. You know why you take your foot off the gas in a turn so you don't wreck. Hmm. And then the next year, 1998, the cup circuit comes back to Texas, and Eddie starts handing out T-shirts <laughs> that say, shut up, up and, and race. Drive. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that did not oh, sit Eddie, well. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> that did not sit well at the headquarters in Daytona. And Bill France Jr., the president of NASCAR, made a direct trip to Texas. He wasn't going to be there, but decided he had to get there. And let's put it this way. Uh, NASCAR has always been accused of being uh, a dictator with a velvet glove. Well, at Texas that day, 
the glove came off. And I think he slapped Eddie with it. (laughs) (laughs) I seem to remember after the Shut Up and Race t-shirts that some writer for Winston Cup scene wrote a column kind of outlining some ideas for what Eddie could do with his Shut Up and Drive (laughs) t-shirts. Who was that, by the way? I don't don't remember that. I pleaded fifth. (laughs) Well, I believe it was the same guy who wrote an extremely well-written story in this issue on Johnny Rumley who had sat on the pole for his very first Bush Series race at New River Valley Speedway in May of 1992. That was the race where Jeff Burton was disqualified for the rear end, and the win went to Bobby Dodder. Johnny had actually led the first 135 laps of that race before his Hoosier tires gave way, and he finished 10th. Johnny went on to win races at Hickory and Dover, but never really seemed to get a solid footing in the sport. And he said in this article, he said, a lot of people think I'm pretty rough the way I talk or that I say things that I should probably let go. (laughs) That's good advice, by the way. But I'll tell you right now, if I tell you something, you can pretty much take it for the truth. I'm not going to back up on it. I'm not going to say what people want to hear all the time. I hate that. I despise that. That's being called a yes man. I'm not going to be one of those guys. I don't think anybody can question my dedication because I've worked on these things as hard as anybody. I've spent as much money as I possibly could until it wasn't there anymore. If I'm missing something, I wish somebody would tell me. I actually contacted a couple of people who knew him, and I believe he is still living in the Winston-Salem area with a roofing business. Really? And he's one of those drivers who had all the talent in the world and just couldn't seem to find that footing. Well, he wasn't the first, and he won't be the last. And do you remember what car number he drove at one point? Double zero. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, another connection to the Randy LaJoy buckshot jumps. (laughs) Fierce rivalry of the late 1990s. So one last thing about this issue. (laughs) There was a short scene on the circuit item about the Rainier Walsh racing car that Greg Sachs drove at Texas, and it was actually being used in an upcoming made-for-TV movie called Steel Chariots. And the name DJ Tucker was over the door instead of Greg Sachs. Now, have you ever seen Steel Chariots? No. I think we should try to look it up. We'll try to find it. It's not on YouTube. I couldn't find it on YouTube. Now, the only person on the IMDb cast list I recognized, Randy Travis, played the Reverend Wally Jones (laughs) in this show. And there was a review on IMDb. It gave the movie... (laughs) It gave the movie two stars out of 10 and said, this film has actors who seem more wooden than the NASCAR personalities who make cameos. Ouch. (laughs) It also has some really offensive stereotypes. Perhaps, perhaps one step ahead of Dukes of Hazzard. Now, hey. Oh, no, wait Don't be messing with the Dukes of Hazzard. <laughs> Don't be messing with Miss Daisy. Uh-uh. No, I won't have it. <laughs> a couple of good race shots are all that salvaged this from being an unmitigated disaster. Instead, it's a very slightly mitigated <laughs> disaster. Well, uh, after reading that review... I don't think we need to bother looking up this movie. Oh, come on. We got to see it. We got to see it for ourselves. Are you going to take somebody's word for it? I guess You're a journalist. You got to see it for yourself. Let's find it. If I I can watch Stroker Ace, I can watch this one. 
Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, no, you, you did not just go there. Are you trying to act? <laughs> Listen, you're kicking my butt in the contest, and now you're going to talk smack about the greatest NASCAR movie of all time. The greatest? Burt Reynolds in a chicken suit? Yes. <laughs> that Absolutely. Ah, <laughs> oh, Steve. Steve, Steve, Steve. Hello, I'm Terry Labonte, and you're listening to the Scene Vault Podcast. All right, Steve. Uh huh. You had Joy Logano. That's right. At Martinsville. He spun with about 40 laps to go, but he came back to finish eighth. And I had Denny Hamlin, and he finished fourth and led once for 30 laps. And then after the race, as we discussed in the intro, they had a little discussion right. after the race. Right. You know, nothing out of the ordinary other than the knockdown brag-out brawl <laughs> that it became between the crew members. Yeah. <laughs> but in the current point system, you're up 32 points. And in the Winston Cup standings, you're up by 60. Mm. I gained a little bit, but not nearly enough. Uh, three races left. Three races left, 32 points. It can be done. Oh, sure. It can, it can be, be done. done, but I don't know. It'll be kind of tough. Yeah, it's going to be tough on you, but I do agree there is time. But I'm I'm looking forward to the day where you're standing there in the Hall of Fame <laughs> next to <clears throat> my exhibit, <laughs> handing out commemorative scenes. Okay. So who do you have at Texas? Well, he's not very happy right now, but I think he's due, and that's Kyle Busch. Kyle Bush, okay. He runs well at Texas, to be honest with you. Okay. I am going to go with, again, the winner of the last race and say Martin Truex Jr. Okay. That's Which pretty good. much dooms him. I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, he's done. <laughs> Just for conversation. Sure. If I do make this miraculous comeback, what are you going to have to do? Well, why don't we spend some time thinking about that? Oh, no, 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 no. You've already said that. Uh, <laughs> it's going to have to be good. All right. All right. Well, here's an idea. Why don't we get Darlington involved again? Okay. If all you right. win. Okay. Right? And we'll go back down there to the Speedway. Okay. To the Raceway Grill, which is next door. Okay, I'm done. Uh, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> That right there ought to inspire you tremendously. Raceway Grill, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs>